0: The Mental Health Sunday is a free resource that includes everything your church would need to host an invitational Sunday experience on mental health and faith. Hope and Strong, along with mission-minded partners, have created downloadable resources that include research tools, sermon notes, videos, social and marketing assets, a seven-day devotional, plus there are community invitations and congregate giveaways. If you're interested in downloading this free resource, go to mentalhealthsunday.com.
1: to be honest with you, I would say I'm doing this for God. This is not for me today. I'm doing it for God. Um, And I think it's the same with ministry leaders. And if they can learn, it's not about them. So because normally with someone with borderline personality disorder, they're probably going to get mad at the leader. I mean, it's, it's a pretty much a guarantee and they're probably going to spew out some stuff that's not very nice. And so your inclination as a person is to say, well, I'm done. I'm walking away from that. They hate me. So why should I step in? You should step in. Keep
0: stepping in. Keep showing up. Keep caring. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out, so listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe and welcome to the Care Ministry podcast. On the show today, we are continuing our series on honoring in honoring mental health awareness month and talking about today we're going to be talking about personality disorders. This is a mental health condition that causes a person to have a lack of adaptability and limited coping responses to stress and can result in significant distress for a person. The goal this month has been to build awareness of different mental illnesses. We have been doing some myth busting and I've highlighted some incredible people who have lived experience, but have taken what has been some of the darkest and hardest moments of their life and are now using them to equip and strengthen others. And today we get to hear from Mari D. She is a writer, speaker, and mental health advocate and ministry leader. She's passionate about equipping and encouraging others to embrace life in the midst of the unexpected. She is a devoted and experienced advocate for families living with mental health challenges. And Marie, she knows firsthand the pain of watching family family members struggle with mental illness and understands the helpless feelings that can leave caregivers lost and without hope. My husband, Aaron, and I, we have been married now for about 15 years, and I think it's safe to say that we can anticipate the other person's response when they're stressed. And I am more straight to the point, quick start, get or done kind of person that doesn't worry about the details. And Aaron, well, he is calm. He is level-headed, calculative, and logical. Thank you, Jesus, for that. <laughs> and it is these predictable thoughts, emotions, and behaviors that make up our unique personalities. Even though Aaron and I are on opposite ends of the spectrum, and the, the we have this commonality that both of our uniqueness, they are patterned and predictable. Personality disorders are highly misunderstood. And if I'm honest, the name doesn't exactly help. A person's personality is so unique to that person. No one's is the same. So, how could you label someone's personality as being disordered? What would determine one as being healthy and not over another person's? Well, like I said, personality is made up of behaviors, thoughts, and emotions that make each person unique. And although our personalities allow others to predict and int- anticipate our responses to situations, also a healthy personality demonstrates the ability to have a range of coping responses and styles when placed under stressful situations. What I mean by this is they have the ability or a healthy person has the ability to think about a problem or a situation from different perspectives or consider other people's viewpoint. They also have the ability to consider that there might be one or more (laughs) solutions to the problem. Or perhaps that the situation might be more complex than just simple cause and effect. There there might not be direct blame or causality that more or more intricate or more situations or or circumstances might be impacted. A disordered personality does not have this kind of adaptability and flexibility. And this can result in the significant distress for that person and for those around them. There are about 10 different personality disorders recognized in psychiatry, but borderline personality disorder and antisocial personality disorder are the most frequently diagnosed. And in today's episode, we are going to take a closer look at borderline personality disorder. Now, people with borderline personality disorder commonly have difficulty regulating or handling their emotions or controlling their impulses. They are often highly sensitive to what's going on around them and can react with intense emotions to small, even small changes in their environment. People with uh, this borderline personality disorder have been described as living with constant emotional pain and the symptoms or the behaviors that we see are a result of their efforts trying trying to cope with this pain well today Borderline personality disorder is considered to be treatable, very treatable, in fact. There have been a lot, and there have been a lot of incredible outcomes with dialectical behavioral therapy, which is labeled DBT for short. And this is considered to be one of the most effective treatments. But this hasn't been always the case. It always hasn't been considered treatable, or there hasn't been a lot of options. DBT was only developed in the late 80s, but that seems like a long time ago for some, but for me, not so much much. But anyway, other the, a lot of awareness needed to be built and training needed to be um, considered or taken. And it made it very difficult to access this training. Even today, there's often a lot of times wait lists or people have to travel to access DVT, DBT support. And while research grows in this area, there's this current understanding that uh, to the causality or where borderline personality comes from, it really is from three different things. A person's genetics uh, that they have inherited, uh, the biology or the physical makeup of their brain, or in and environmental experiences. And these can all contribute to the development of borderline personality disorder. A person who is born with certain characteristics, uh, their personality can be just, that's just the way they're wired. And these characteristics can be further shaped by environmental experiences as the person grows. It's kind of like that nurture nature conversation. And it is both. You are born with certain characteristics, but then also the environment can shape uh, the, uh, the characteristics as you grow. The environmental factors that might contribute to the development of borderline personality really are uh, separation, neglect, abuse, or other traumatic events. It is throughout history or statistics, there is a high report of those uh, who have borderline personality who have been physically and sexually abused as a child or in their past. However, families that that provide nurturing and caring and safe environments may still have children who develop borderline personality. And then there's also children who experience absolutely appalling childhoods that don't necessarily develop borderline personality disorder. So research continues, but they do uh, consider biological components, genetic components, as well as environmental factors for causality for borderline personality disorder. And I think it's also important to note that having a relative or a loved one with this disorder can be significantly stressful due to the challenges and, and oftentimes due to the challenges of caring for someone who is highly emotional reactive and has the limited ability to cope with stress. Caregivers may unintentionally act in ways that can worsen their loved one's symptoms. Now by no means am I blaming the caregivers but this can happen as you're caring for someone and co- compassion fatigue and set in and you can trigger, uh, your response can trigger more, um, emotional reaction in those who are struggling with borderline personality disorder. And that's why it's very common for therapy and support to be recommended for family members as well. Marie D, she began to seek support when a family member of hers was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Her search for support led her to the National Education Alliance for Borderline Personality Disorder. And that link, they have a ton of resources and courses, so you're going to want to check that link out in the show notes. And these resources became so helpful for her that she volunteered as a member on their board, took many of their courses, and even uh, became a trainer for NAMI. And Marie has further developed a community of support for loved ones around faith and mental illness, and this is called Embracing the Unexpected. Marie grew up in Southern California in a large blended family. Having several siblings younger than herself, she often stepped into the role as caretaker and nurturer, and these skills came to her naturally. And as she grew, she was often finding herself in the place of supporting friends and family, kind of being that go-to person. She eventually graduated as an accountant of all things, and she started a business with her husband and a successful one at that. She was living her ideal life in Southern California. But as her children grew older, she started to notice that they were struggling with their mental health.
1: It was in the, it was around 14. They were teenagers. So, um. Both of them actually they're two years apart and both of them were showing signs. I had no idea what I was looking at. I had no idea what mental illness was, just absolutely oblivious to all of it. And so now looking back, I actually see signs back way back in kindergarten. But I just
0: in kindergarten. Wow. What 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 was in kindergarten that were the you know hindsight?
1: Well, in hindsight, like I remember with one of my kiddos, um Oh, the teacher, she was just so stressed about going to school, just, um, you know, the teacher's not going to like me, she's going to hate me, and we'd go through this whole big thing every year, and actually, my other daughter, too, um, separation was very, very hard, I know all kids, so I wouldn't say that's definitely mental illness, but I mean, we just saw little things, and the one friend that kind of goes with the borderline, that black and white thinking, I have one friend, only one friend, and that's it. And so that's kind of that's true with, you know, I hate you or I like you or I love you or I hate you. We saw that and no changing the mind. So, I mean, like if a teacher said something that she determined was hurtful or ugly, that teacher hated her. And that was she was her mind was made up. So that really went a lot along with the borderline personality disorder. It was that, you know, all or nothing.
0: Now I know borderline personality disorder is a tricky disorder to have diagnosed, especially younger than 18. How, how are you able to seek support and, and discover this and have this as a diagnosis?
1: Um, we actually did not get a diagnosis until 18.
0: I was going to say that's it's yeah. unusual for it to be under 18. Okay. Uh, and
1: actually I, one of my, one of my kids was in and out of treatment for, um, I don't know, three or four years, to be honest with you, 14 to 18. And um, there was some self-injury going on. And with self-injury, dialectical behavior therapy is really good. And so we went for that. Well, that happens to be good for borderline too. So we just kind of left out there. But when I went back and I looked through some of the paperwork, I started seeing possible BPD, possible BPD. And so, um, but they never really came right out and told me that, which was interesting. So I found it in the notes.
0: So you were seeing trends of anxiety or distress or thought patterns from a young age. And then at 14, started struggling with self-harm and needing support through hospitalization. And then at 18... Had the diagnosis of borderline personality disorder now obviously this podcast is not meant at all to diagnose or anything but what it is is it's meant to inform and build awareness around this and to help people who may be struggling themselves or have a family member so are you able to share a little bit about your experience as a parent through watching your kiddos uh struggle and suffer through those years
1: I have to say is the hardest thing I have, I'll even cry telling you, the hardest thing I have ever done, because I honestly had the thought that moms could fix anything. And I was going to have just this perfect family with perfect, you know, I I, totally wrong thoughts. But um, so I thought when I first, when we first started seeing signs and honestly, the signs were off the charts, like you had to do something. Um, And really, we wanted there was concern on life. So we wanted them to live. And so we had to take action. It was so off the charts that there was no choice. and. we just sought out, we sought out help. Somehow I got hooked up with um, National Education Alliance for Borderline Personality Disorder early. And I ended up taking a class and then I actually ended up serving on the board. And um, so I just, I was one of those parents that just threw myself into it, like over the top, read, learned, did everything. Um, I even did the DDT therapy for therapist. I was offered it um, once when I spoke at NAMI. And so I actually took the therapy class for therapists and went through that. I I don't get any accreditation because I'm not a therapist. And so I wanted to learn it. I wanted to be able to practice it in my home so I could help.
0: Hmm. As a mom, did you ever have those thoughts that, you know, I know as a mom myself or as a parent myself, it's the, this is my fault or I must have, mess them up or what did I do to cause this or all of those haunting thoughts that had
1: that all of those. Yeah. Had all of those. I, you know, I kept thinking I did something wrong or something, or I missed the signs. So I did miss the signs and I had a really great therapist and she told me that, cause I would go for my own therapy too and training to help my loved ones but she told me once, you don't have the luxury to sit around in that guilt because you're going to be no good for your loved one. And she says, you, just, you don't have that luxury. So you just got to push it aside and move forward. And so that will really help. You know, you just do it with God. I mean, and honestly, I could to be perfectly honest with you. I couldn't do any of this without God. I mean, he was just right there every second, every moment. And I, this was way beyond me. This isn't something I knew how to tackle. And honestly, I wasn't even good at any of the skills I learned. I had to really throw myself into it and learn. I thought you treated all children the same. I thought that, you know, discipline was, and and I was a good disciplinarian. And so I thought, well, just, we can correct all of this. And I was just so ignorant, to be honest with you,
0: when it came to that. I think we all are. I think as parents, we all are, we all don't know what we're doing and we have these assumptions. So what are some of the lessons learned that you'd be able to share as a parent raising kids who are struggling?
1: Um, one, you have to take care of yourself. I I think that's one of the biggest things and probably the hardest thing for me. I have to actually, um, kind of keep tabs on that. Like I'll say, I'll look somebody taught me this too, is you look at those old fashioned scales and see how much you're doing for others and how much you're doing for yourself. And if they're out of balance, then you need, and they are going to be out of balance. They're never going to be in balance. But if they're just like once hit in the bottom, you got to change things up. And so I even would hire um, somebody to sit with my child because they couldn't be left alone and take a day for myself. And I remember that very first day that I took a day for myself went to visit a friend at the beach and I cried the whole way there. And I thought, this is just not worth it. And, you know, and I got comments like, before I left, what kind of mom um, would leave their child? What kind of mom would leave the hurting child? And I'm thinking, a bad mom. <laughs> but then I learned to know that, no, it's a good mom. Because when I'm rested and when I fill my cup, I have more to offer. I have more patience, more kindness, more compassion, everything. So I think you really have to take good care of yourself. And I'll hear people um, in a lot of my groups say, oh, I just can't. There's nothing I can do. I can't. You can find a way. You can take a bath. You can go in and shut the door, lock the door and take a bath. You can say no more talking right now. I'm going to go sit outside and read a book. There are things you can do even when you can't leave your loved one, and so you have to find a way.
0: That's so good. In your experience of um, church, you say you you grew up in a Christian home. You're a believer. Uh, what was your experience um, in? Re- did you go to your church for support? Did you seek out counsel? How how was that for you? Your experience with your church family.
1: So yes, I did. Um, this it was a good experience, and it was um, a learning experience. To be honest, with
0: you. <laughs> um, yeah. tell us. Let us learn from you. <laughs>
1: Okay, so I went. I did go to my church. I went to my pastor and his wife, and they would meet with me periodically and they would pray with me. And I will tell you, one of the best things I learned right from the beginning was our pastor looked at me and he says, You're going to have to make a decision right now because I want you to think about it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to go home and I want you to make this decision. And I said, Okay. And he goes, You have to decide, are you going to trust God if illness remains? Are you going to trust God if healing happens and are you going to trust God if your loved one dies? And I thought, Ooh, okay. But that was, that's real talk. Yes. It was the best decision though I ever made because I chose to trust God. And so I do, I trust him and things have happened. And I think, Oh God, not another thing. Oh, I'm going to trust you. I trust that you're going to use this. You're going to get us through this. And That way you don't have to keep going back and thinking about whether you're going to trust God. All you got to do is remind yourself, I already chose it. I'm going to trust. So that was really, really good. So, yes, I did go to my church. And then I got into teaching classes. I taught classes for NEABPD, another part of the church. And I taught classes for NAMI. And didn't quite fit at the beginning the vision of the church. And so I asked, can I teach them here? And they said, no. And believe me, I know these people. I'm a small group leader. I, you know, I'm in the church. And so I went to a neighboring church and taught. And then I was able to come back and show how it did fit the vision, even though it was a secular class. And, and all through that, our care pastor, Jim Lewis, was just amazing because I would call him and say, you okay, know, how do I share my faith in here? How do I, you know, because it's really hard to teach a class when God's been the one that took you all the way through without saying that. And could there's places to say it, even in a secular class, you know, that's not talking about God, because when they say, how do you cope? God, you know, and that was one of the things, especially like when we knew we were going to go through a hard period, I made sure that I always had my quiet time with God in the morning. And when I skip it, cause I do, I skip it. And, um, time to time and it makes a huge difference. And so even I'll tell this one story when I was teaching the class and I was so excited, um, to get to the class. Cause I was going to tell them it was time to say what gets you through in that whole week, I had skipped my quiet time with God. I had um, not read my Bible and I had just been a horrible week. And so I got in there to the class and I looked at them and they said, "Well, what helps you? And I said, well, this is what helps, but I didn't do it. And it's been a horrible week. You know, that was the best class I ever taught because yeah. Cause they saw I was real. I'm a real person. Cause I can stand up there and look like I got it down and I don't, I have so much struggle and they were able to see that. But I was also to say, there's a difference when I do it, when I don't, so you got to find what works for me, it's God. I mean, God's the one that carries me through. And I think because too, he took me to a place where I had no skill set for this. I did not know how to mother a child with mental illness and, um, He's taken me every step of the way. And I've had to rely. Sometimes I've had to rely just to take that very next step because so we've been through some really hard things.
0: You've identified a couple of those. So the, um, you said talk about the black and white thinking, you talked about the, um, self-harm, you talked about, um, some of those life threatening thoughts that the, that they may have had. And, and, um, it's, it's in the opening of this podcast, uh, in this episode, I talk about borderline personality disorder and, and, and how it impacts someone's emotional reactivity and, and, and thought process and problem solving. Can you describe a little bit about what your lived experience as a caregiver, as a, as a family member of a loved one who experiences or has experienced um, borderline personality disorder?
1: Well, as I said before, and I don't know if this is in the thing, I was a CPA and so an accountant. And so one plus one equals two. Well, now all of a sudden it didn't. And that was so hard for me. And so I wanted to always prove, like, for instance, if you looked at the couch here and you see that it's brown uh, or I see that it's brown and you tell me it's purple. Well, I wanted to prove to you that it was brown. And um, I had to learn that it really didn't matter. And so like some of the things I've had to learn is what's most effective. Is it arguing the point or is it loving this person? Is it meeting them right where they are? Just like Jesus does for us. It's about meeting them where they are. And so when they're in this emotional state, it's meeting them where they are, not saying, I don't know why you're complaining about that, or I don't know why that bothered you. And it's a whole, and one of the things, in fact, I'm giving a class on it tomorrow is validation. And it was learning how to validate my loved one's where they are, I didn't have to agree with it, but it was finding that little kernel of truth and what they're saying and validating it. And it's been amazing how it will just bring down that escalation. and mm-hmm. And then they feel loved, they feel cared for because there's so much of that black and white. So it's like, you know, the doctor hates me. I, I know he hates me. Well, we don't know that, do we? Yeah. But that's how they feel. They feel like the doctor hates them. And so I can validate that, can validate how bad that would feel. Or some of the other comments I used to get a lot was, you don't do anything for me. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh! You I know, think that I,
0: will I, resonate with a lot of people listening because, as ministry leaders and as caregivers, they are giving, giving, and they're feeling like they're giving. But people say, "Oh, you don't do anything for me." Tell us what was your experience when that was t- said to you. So,
1: so yeah, so when that, and that's been said many, many times.
0: Um, and you
1: know, you don't do anything for me. And I'm thinking my hair was stuck standing on end, wanting to scream, you have got to be kidding. You know, I, um, I gave up my career. I gave up everything, my friendships. I've stayed home 24 seven with you when it was called for. And you say, I don't do anything. Um, But that's not the right way. Because that won't get anywhere. That will just start an argument going back and forth. And so when I what I can say as I look at that and I think, well, what would that feel like if you felt like your mom did nothing for you? It would feel pretty bad. And so I can say, um, you know, tell me a little bit more about that. That's got to feel awful to think that I do nothing for
0: you. That's so good. It takes it. You're not personal. You're not taking it as a personal attack or a threat. No, you got to like
1: roll right off. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's constantly redirecting. Okay, wow. If that's how you feel, that must feel really awful. Tell me more. And it's actually like feed. You want to know more rather than stop that thought or stop that feeling. You're actually trying to get people to dig into it more to explore it. That is so counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah.
1: And if you do that three times, too, we always um, teach that, too, in the classes, you don't want to do it three times. So you want to try to find three ways to validate before you add anything else. And it doesn't mean I won't add something because I will, but it might be the next day. In fact, that's usually more beneficial. So the next day I might say, talk a little bit more about that. You know, can you so when I take you to your doctor's appointments. That's not reaching you. That's not helping you. It doesn't feel like I'm helping you because I want to explore because I do want to know. I want to know, I mean, who wants to do all this stuff if they're not feeling cared for, right? (laughs) And So I do want to know. So I will ask those questions usually the next day. So I will bring it up because I do want to challenge some of the thinking too. We don't want her to just think that it's, you know, this is this is how I feel and it's fact. And that's another thing. A lot of times we've learned in the dialectical behavior therapy is, you know, feelings aren't facts. And so we, we say that feelings aren't factual real. I can validate them, but they're not factual. And nor are mine.
0: Mm, that's so good. Yeah. Nor are yours. That feeling of attack or, or yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. That's so good. So tell us a little bit about um, where this has led you. You mentioned that you started courses. Now, did you, you started taking courses, right? Yeah, what I did is I took family
1: connections through um, NEA, BPD. And then I also...
0: Can you say what that is? And I'll make sure I have it in the...
1: yeah, National Education Alliance for Borderline Personality Disorder.
0: All right, and we'll have the link for those courses in the show notes. <laughs> oh, good.
1: good. Yeah, because that's a great organization, and then and that's the one that I actually served on the board, and then I took the training, and then I taught the classes, and then I even had some experience in training some of the trainers, so or some of the teachers to be. So that was fun. I loved that organization, and then um, I also taught family to family through NAMI, National Alliance for Mental Illness. And that was a great class too, taught that many times. And so I, I taught those classes. And I, to be honest with you, when this first came about in our family, both my husband and I said, we don't want to waste our pain. And so we knew that we would give back, but we had to find the right time. And so it started with those classes. And then um, my care pastor and his wife kept saying, why don't you do a support group? at our church i said no i'm not into the support groups i don't want to do (laughs) (laughs) what i said why weren't
0: you in the support group just so everyone else can valid like recognize it well
1: i felt like i was living it Hmm. that to lead and listen to everybody and i'm gonna i'm gonna counteract this in a minute because i i do believe in support groups um but i just like to listen to everybody else's story it would just bring me down And and at the time, I really didn't have the skill set not to take on everybody else's problems. And so that's why I didn't because I'm the one that will show up at the hospital for every person in the support group. And you can't. I'm living it. I can't do it. And so they kept talking to me over and over again. And then I started teaching classes at our church. And then there was always a piece missing in the classes. And that was faith. And so I I kept thinking there really is. And then when they would end, everybody would say, well, isn't there anything else? And so then we just decided, you know, we needed the faith piece. So I went back to um, our care pastor. And this time I had had an idea. I said, if we could add the education, the skills and support, I'll do it. And so that's what we did. And so we've had a very successful program at... um, at my church at home in California, and that's what we do. So each meeting they have, we have a speaker and they teach something. So you walk away. I wanted everybody to walk away with something that they could learn that they could do. And then at the end we do support. So there is support and there is such value in support, even if everybody's sharing their story and their problems we learn, And so they um, support is amazing. I just wanted all of the elements in it. And so then after that, I started, I moved to Utah a couple of years ago. And so then I started an online support and that's what I do. And same thing in there. It's, it, it is skills, um, education and support. I like all three elements. I think they're important. I think that we all need to learn or learn from other people too. And we do in the support part. hmm and so I'm still, um, with both of those organizations.
0: So you're still with both organizations and what is your online community called? Just so people can find it and we'll link to it.
1: It's called Embracing, yeah, it's Embracing Faith and Mental Illness. And in that there's four ways to connect. And one, we do a monthly mental health newsletter and it just has some tips, some skills and might lead you to some, um other posts that you could read. Sometimes we have guests on it that write it. And last month we had a, somebody that lives with an illness. And so I asked her about meds. And so that was kind of nice. We got to see her take on that. And then the other thing is that you can go to blog posts. Then I also have a private Facebook group that has just been amazing. They care for each other in the group. And the people in it are just wonderful. So people can put a prayer request and, you know, things like that. And it's been, that's been something that I'm so, so thankful I started. It's really neat.
0: Mm. It, It can be really lonely when you're caring for a loved one and people don't understand unless they've experienced it. So it's amazing that you've created this community for people so they don't feel alone and they can reach out and connect and get support. Yes, yeah.
1: And then I do speaking too. So I speak for different, um, different places and then I still speak at Circles of Hope, which is the, which is the, what I started at our church. So I still fly back there and speak four times a year.
0: That's awesome. That's incredible. Uh, understanding that borderline personality disorder, although it's treatable is long can last and have impacts for a long time. Where are you at now? How are you guys, um, coping not not wanting to know the details of, of someone's health but how does what does that journey look like um, as you know you pa- time passes and and people grow
1: well one thing I want to say before I even talk about that is a lot of times people think there is no hope with borderline personality disorder and there is so much hope um I can't there's amanda I wish I could remember her last name at the moment I can't think of it um, she's a therapist but she's gone through training too and she has borderline personality disorder. So she was kind of like my hero. And I signed up for all of her newsletters and um, I would just follow along with her and she would teach skills. And I would see that she did it. She's living a life worth living. And so I think that a lot of times we think you can't do that. And we've been through the gamut. We've been in places where we thought, oh my gosh, we're never going to make it. Um, But now we're in a better place. And I think it helped I know I keep mentioning DBT, but we both, um, my loved one did DBT and so did I. And so honestly, my loved one will call me out on it too. She'll say, you're not being very validating or she'll say, you're not being very mindful.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, you're not using your wise mind. Yes. All of those. Yes anyone who knows anything about dbt will know what that is
1: (laughs) yes yes and that's been really helpful because i'm one of those that used to multitask everything and multitask has been proven that it doesn't really you don't get the job done and not only that i've had to learn to actually just sit turn turn my face towards my loved one and listen and be there and that's so helpful where I used to like cook or, you know, be doing folding laundry. And now I don't, I stop and turn and look, and I don't do it all the time. I'm not perfect at it. Again, that's not one of my areas that I'm really good at, but it's nice because my loved one will remind me and she'll say, Hey, doing this or, you know, she'll, and she'll even remind me, you need to take care of yourself, mom, Mm,
0: which is nice. That's nice. Yeah, at the opening, we definitely talk about DBT and that, you know, borderline personality disorder has a... Um, uh negative connotations and it can be challenging for caregivers and for families and and those who are supporting but there's hope it is definitely treatable it's definitely opportunity to work through and um, it is not a life sentence it's a challenge to be oh, able to go through
1: no and in and you probably mentioned this in the notes but you know there's nine criteria
0: I did not mention that so feel free to jump in
1: <laughs> so if you have five of the symptoms you have the diagnosis but even if you have one of them, It can be life-altering because relationships are what are so hard for somebody that has borderline personality disorder. It's the relationships. It's that. um, Oh, what's the word I was trying to think of? They're unstable. It's their instability. It's instability in relationships that is kind of like the hallmark for it. You know, and their emotions go up and down daily, not um, like in bipolar where it may go for a period of time, and so relationships are the hardest thing. And so one of the things I learned um, early on was to say to myself, the relationship is the most important thing. Sometimes if I'm going over them, I know it's going to be a hard conversation. I keep repeating that over and over again in my mind, the relationship is the most important thing because you want to keep that stable somehow, just mean you're not going to have problems or not going to argue because I mean, everybody does, but, um, You want to just keep that in mind. You want to keep that, you want to keep those lines, you know, together that you're going to keep a connection because it's very hard. If you argue with all the stuff that you hear, you're not going to have a very good connection and your loved ones need you.
0: I'm just thinking of listeners who are in ministry and who are leaders and they may not be aware that someone has a diagnosis, they might not be aware. Um, that's obviously private information that they might not share. Um, but they're noticing that someone is the showing signs, and whether they have a diagnosis or not, like you said, anybody can experience any of these things as human beings where, you know, the black and white thinking, the emotional volatility and 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 being triggered and conflict in relationship and all of and these things can can happen to anyone what would you what do you have any communication strategies or ways that uh leaders are able to um connect and ensure that that relationship becomes um you've given one but also that uh, that the relationship can remain intact when they're when they're finding themselves stuck in this conflict uh argumentative situation
1: i do um i mean one thing because i I will tell you that i've seen so many people walk out of my loved one's life Um, it's hard to stick it out but you've got to i mean you've got to think of god and what would god do and where would god meet the person i think you see you got to kind of just sometimes to be honest with you i would say i'm doing this for god this is not for me today i'm doing it for god Um, And I think it's the same with ministry leaders. And if they can learn, it's not about them. So because normally with someone with borderline personality disorder, they're probably going to get mad at the leader. I mean, it's it's pretty much a guarantee and they're probably going to spew out some stuff that's not very nice. And so your inclination as a person is to say, well, I'm done. I'm walking away from that. They hate me. So why should I step in? You should step in keep stepping in keep showing up keep caring even though you're hearing all this hateful stuff they need you and one of the things with borderline personality disorder is they try to reject you before you reject them so don't reject them just let you know keep keep going if you can i mean I, and get help for yourself talk to somebody else um, so that you can stay in there because let me tell you if you can stay in there Oh, you're amazing, and we've had people that have stepped in, and I tell you, I'm so grateful for those people that stepped in and saw it through, because there weren't very many people in my loved one's life, and if a ministry leader can stay the course, it's amazing. I mean, just simply amazing, and I think learning to use some validation skills, I think um, every ministry leader should take some validation. Um, learn some validation skills because that will just bring it down. I mean, I have seen it over and over and over again. Um, even like with my mother-in-law, my husband used to call her and she would say, you know, oh, it's ugly, and oh, this, oh, that is just terrible. And one day he just validated her and it just all stopped. And in the end, towards the end of her life, they had a really good relationship, which was really neat. But it was because I believe my husband was using the skills.
0: Hmm so good you can save relationships bring and continue to have connection yeah that's awesome that's and so cool. and if you do that
1: you're a gold star <laughs> <laughs> i mean and at least from a mom's perspective because there aren't very many people that will keep doing that
0: yeah yeah it's not about you just stay consistent it's not about you regardless of what the person comes at you with accuses you of uh what trouble or disturbance may, or may not happen. Stay calm, stay consistent and stay connected. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. everybody needs to be loved. And that's what I was going to say. Cause these are children of God. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. And so that's if you true. can reach somebody and you got to figure if they're talking like that to you, they don't have very many people in their lives. <laughs> And so if you can be, you know, the hands and feet of Jesus, that's amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing your experience. Thanks. If you can think back, you've gone now through training and years and courses and, you know, 24 seven living this out, if you could go back and send yourself an email or a voicemail what would you tell your younger self now that you've gone through what you and lessons learned that you've learned? Um, there's so many things I
1: would <laughs> <It'd> be <laughs> a long email. <laughs> <laughs> I think probably one of the hardest things for me was to realize that I matter too, and I matter to God. And that, that was hard because I, I think, especially if it's your children, I think they matter more. And when you go at things like that, you're going to burn out. And so, I think that if you have to remember I matter too. My needs, my wants, they matter too. And that's hard in the church too because what are we always talking about? The other person. And so, that was really really hard for me to think and I struggle with it daily. Really, do I really matter? Do I really can I really say no? Um, And that was hard because you see somebody struggling and obviously it looks worse over there and it looks harder, but you matter too. And you matter to God and God wants you to know that you matter. So I think that would be one of the things. And um, the other thing would be allow others to step in. It's messy. It's ugly. Let them step in when they ask what I can do find something, have them go to the grocery store for you. I mean, we need help just like um, somebody that, you know, has an illness and we need help. And in those crisis periods, let people step in. And that's hard when it's ugly and it's messy. And I wasn't very good at it. I'm still not very good at them. I'm a work in progress, (laughs) but I would say, yeah, let people help you. Because you need it and, and you need basic things. Let's say you pick up dinner. I remember the first dinner somebody gave me in the middle of it all. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that felt so good. I didn't even care what they brought because it didn't matter. It was the fact that they loved me and they cared and they noticed. And so that was because it's hard on the entire family. So I think that um, and the other thing is that it's not up to me. I can't heal the person. I was bound and determined that I could and I can't. I can't heal. I can make a difference, but it's not up to me. And I remember one therapist saying to me once, Jesus didn't heal everybody. And so I had to keep reminding myself of that. Okay, if Jesus didn't heal anybody, I certainly can't heal everybody. But I think when it's your child, you think I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make it better. And you can make a difference, but you can't heal them. So God can, but, you know, we can't. So I think those be a few of the things I could go on and on. There's a lot of learned. <laughs> that
0: long email, right? That would be a long email. <laughs> oh,
1: I oh, know one more thing. I'll say one more thing. Okay. okay. God will equip. Hmm. So, um, and honestly, I never wanted to be a speaker or a writer or run a ministry. That was not my thing. Um, although I love to help people, that was always true, but I never wanted to be those things. And so to the thought of getting up in front of people and speaking was just way beyond me and God equipped me, he equips you and no, maybe you're not as good as the professional over here or that person. It doesn't matter. Your story matters, share your story and God will equip you to do what he wants you to do. And so just be willing. And that's what I had to learn. I just had to be willing, willing to go where God wanted me to go and willing. And I've been in some pretty bad places besides ministry. I mean, ministry's been good, but I've been in some, you know, dark places and God was right there. He really was. And he equipped me. He gave me the courage and he um, gave me the skills and the tools to do what I needed to do.
0: Hey, thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you heard into action today. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care, both for yourself and for others in your church? If you've enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you could write a review. And this will help other people find the podcast more easily, as well as follow so you can be notified when the next episode goes live. Thanks for connecting. Take care.